Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. At the start of this pandemic, everybody went into panic. Fear struck us all, not just over the health implications of the lockdown, uh, but also the financial implications. And of course, many of us who are paying mortgages or rents or whatever it happened to be worried, how the hell are we going to pay it on €350 a week or in a wage subsidy if that's what you happen to be on in your work and you still manage to be working or maybe you were down to three days a week. And of course, uh, Pascal who started patting himself on the back because he did a great deal with the banks, allegedly. Uh, I never for one minute, by the way, assumed that the banks uh, were going to be the nice people of the world and hand out money for free. But we got a bit of a mortgage holiday, so to speak. A moratorium. But of course... I don't know whether you realised or not, but the banks were going to charge you interest. There was no doubt about that. The banks were never going to lose out on this. And to talk to you a bit more about it is Pierce Doherty from Sinn Féin, Deputy Leader and Finance Spokesperson. Good afternoon to you, Pierce. Good afternoon to you now. I mean, for a minute, Pierce, did we honestly believe the banks were going to lose out on this? This was never going to happen, was it? Yeah, look, it came out in a, in a fanfare at the time. The minister was there, the heads of the bank were there, Brian Hayes, the head of the uh, lobbyists on behalf of the banks, the Banking and Payment Federation, all telling us how the banks were going to play their part. And uh, we, we had to give them and uh, put them to the test. But look, behind the scenes, we were very uh, dubious of, of, of this, uh, although it would be the right thing to do. And it would be also in line with what banks have been doing uh, in other parts of, of Europe, but uh, obviously behind the spin uh, is, is is a whole different story. And not only were the banks not giving you a break, the banks were actually punishing you as a result of the COVID pandemic and the fact that you had seen your income drop. I mean, they did nothing really because there was always an availability to get a moratorium or a holiday on your mortgage if you went through a tough time or you lost your job or your circumstances changed. You could always discuss that with the bank and depending on your circumstances and your financial statement, they would give you a little bit of a break or maybe an interest only for a few months. So that was always there. So they did nothing really on that. The only thing they did was the banks agreed to make that process easier. That's it. They made it. They made it easier, kind of, just to, in terms of not having to go through a, a, a rigmarole. And to be fair to them, uh, they allowed it then to be extended to six months, which wouldn't be uh, w- without having a credit default issue, which 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 was new. Um, but that that in itself isn't the big issue. And uh, the big issue is that many people listened to what was being said, thought that this was a real break in the middle of the pandemic. So many hundreds of thousands losing their job and saying, well, at least that one last thing I have to worry about. What they weren't being told by the banks is actually the banks are now going to charge you thousands of euro additional uh, in paying back your mortgage. So if you had to pay back, you know, 300,000 euro as a result of taking out a mortgage, it would be now... Uh, you know, three hundred and four thousand, or, or or about that. Indeed, well, we well it depends on uh, if you have a larger mortgage of say sixteen hundred or two grand, you could be paying forty or fifty extra a month. It depends on what it is. So basically, what they did was recapitalise your mortgage, and and uh, the banks are kind of set to, according to the report by the Irish Mirror, the banks are set to reap a uh, hundred million and two hundred and fifty million extra from customers over a lifetime of loans. So the banks are the ones making money out of all this. Absolutely. The banks are profiting out of this. Uh, There's no doubt about it. And the excuse that they used is that don't blame us. We have to do this um, because if we don't do this, if we don't charge interest during this, 
so-called break period, uh, then your loan would be in default. You would be, uh, you know, it would be riskier for you. It would be bad for your credit rating. The bank wouldn't be able to lend money because we'd have to res- have more capital that we have to have in reserve and all this kind of nonsense, which has proven to be exactly that, complete and utter nonsense. And they went as far, Niall, to have a meeting with the Tisha, the Minister for Enterprise, the former Tisha now, uh, Leo Bradker, the Minister for Enterprise and the Minister for Finance, and the five senior bankers in the state, uh, the CEOs of the five main banks, along with the Banking and Payments Federation uh, CEO, which was uh, uh, the former junior finance minister, uh, Brian Hayes, and they basically told the government that they had to do this, that the regulator asked them to do this, that this is what's happening across Europe, that if they didn't do this, the loans were going to default. If they didn't do this, it would be a negative credit rating for the customer. All of that is simply untrue. Well, of course, you received confirmation, you yourself received confirmation from the central bank. The regulator allows payment breaks to be applied whereby interest does not accrue during the period, which seems to completely contradict what the banks are now saying or what they've said uh, in relation to this. But, I mean, there are going to be people out there will argue, well, you know, the banks have to get their money back somehow. And even if they added, say, you know, four months onto the end of your period of time of a mortgage, maybe they might be able to do that for everybody, depending on your age. But if they added it on at the end, surely they could add that on without interest. Um, that might be a better solution. But they still have to, I, I suppose their argument is we still have to get it back. We can't just let you away with, say, I don't know, five months of mortgage at €1,600 a month, which is quite a tidy sum of money. Nobody's arguing that they shouldn't get the money that they lent out back and the interest rate that is due over a 30-year mortgage, uh, even if that has to be paid back in a shorter period. So, yes, nobody's arguing that the payments might increase for that uh, because you're, you're paying it back in a shorter time. Or, as you said, you could extend your mortgage term for three to six months at the end, uh, which would mean the same payments. But the bank would get exactly what they should get back in terms of interest and capital, uh, as was agreed in terms of the contract. That's not the issue here. The issue is they're getting all of that back, and then they're also getting another €4,500 if you've got a €300,000 mortgage over a 30-year period. This COVID penalty, this additional amount they're getting back, this is the additional profit that they're going to get back. So there's no question of them. So essentially they're punishing you, essentially, for even availing of this in the first place. Absolutely. Uh, that, that is exactly so, what so it is. Well, okay, so what's the end result then? What, I mean, what can be done about this? I mean, this is up to Pascal who obviously, to deal with this situation. Um, I mean, he's going to have to go back to the banks and say you're going to have to withdraw this. You're going to have to say to people, I'm sorry, but you, know, you're not, you don't have to pay this after all. And you, know, you will obviously pay the, the standard amount of interest or if you want to recapitalise or you want to put it at the end of your mortgage, the four months or six months or whatever it is, that's the way it'll have to be done. But this idea of a mortgage punishment, as you call it, or a financial punishment, he's going to have to get it sorted. And is, is there any possibility he's going to do that? Well, look, there isn't at this point in time any indication that he's going to do this. It, it shocks me that he sat and it shocks me that he should sat with their officials and, and believe the bankers. Like, because this wasn't new to them in May. From March, I've been, I've been raising this issue time and time again. I've made it clear that this doesn't have to happen this way, that across Europe, in different countries, this is not happening. We have KBC Bank, which is a lender here in Ireland. KBC is the biggest lender in Belgium. KBC voluntarily does not charge interest during a payment break for citizens in Belgium, which have low incomes. Here in Ireland, they charge full interest. If you're a German citizen 
or a year Spanish citizen, or Cyprus, or Hungary, or many other European countries, your government has introduced legislation uh, in March and, and, and subsequently to actually make sure that the banks would not charge interest uh, during this COVID pandemic. Because why? Because it's a pandemic. Because people are losing their lives. And as a result of that, we've had to close down the economy. The government made those decisions and that is impacting... But didn't, didn't Pascal O'Donoghue address this uh, after, of course, he patted himself on the back when the original deal was done? Did he not address this and say that when he was talking about the fact that your credit rating wouldn't be affected up to three months, but the legislation still said after three months, but then they, they, they rectified that afterwards. But did he not address the fact in relation to the interest that he said it was straight because of the, the legislation wouldn't be able to deal with? It would be a contradiction of the regulations of the central bank. Is that not what he was saying no, at the time? But- but it's not true. Like in, in, in Spain, in, see, this is the thing. Pascal Donoghue has pirated the line of the industry, which is we can't do anything because the regulator make us do this. I questioned the regulator yesterday, although I knew the answer before I asked the question. The regulator never told the banks this because the regulator told me a number of weeks ago in writing that, of course, banks don't have to charge interest rates in, in line with uh, the, the, the guidelines. How do we know this? Because on the 30th of March, Spain introduced legislation. Germany introduced legislation. Belgium has legislation. Hungary, Cyprus, many countries, 12 countries throughout the European Union. It is the banks that actually not the customer who takes on this, this charge. I produced the legislation three weeks ago and gave it to Pascal Donoghue and said, take this and introduce it and do what the government in Germany and Spain and other places have done, which is protect their citizens from scrupulous bankers. Absolutely fallen on deaf ears, haven't even got an acknowledgement or a response to the to that piece of legislation. And that tells you, or it at least tells me now very clearly, that this government is completely in bed with, with big industry like bankers as opposed to actually protecting customers. And these are vulnerable customers at the end of the day. Well, look, I hope something happens. And I think there'll be a lot of disgruntled people listening today, uh, listening to what you're saying today, and a lot of unhappy people who believe they were thought they were getting a genuine break during a very difficult time in their lives, which wasn't their fault, uh, and now only to find that they're going to be paying back the banks an extra few quid uh, just to allow them to do that. Uh, and I hope we get that sorted out. And, and uh, I'm, yeah, sure, well, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you will we'll be meeting. Go anyway. I know, I know you won't. I know we, you won't. We, we, hopefully, we will. Yeah. Uh, you're like a Rottweiler when you get things in your mouth like that. Okay, but in relation to other points just before you go uh, it would be remiss of me not to ask you about Barry Cowan because everybody is talking about it at the moment I mean Barry has apologised he's sincerely sorry he's ashamed and he was on the lower level as according to himself and according to obviously because he didn't have to appear in court over it um, Michal Martin says he didn't know although there were, there's, there were suggestions there were rumours in the doll uh, at the time in 2016 when he got this fine uh, and the ban on driving. Um, what's your opinion on it? Should he step down? Look, I, I listened to what Barry Cowan has uh, said last night and looked at him and his apology, and uh, he has apologised for it, and, 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 and rightly so. But I've also listened to what the likes of Susan Gray have, and, you know, Susan Gray is from my own county, obviously suffered tragedy as a result of... Uh, uh, I, 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 I know. Like, we spoke to Leo Leo, Leo yesterday, Arlie, Leo, and yeah. uh, his daughter, sixteen years of age, was killed by a drunk yeah, driver. Yeah, and look, I think I think you know, in fairness, uh, Barry Cowan says he would answer the questions when he was talking to Susan Gray. It's very clear from listening to her today that those questions haven't been answered. I think Barry Cowan needs to really do the right thing now and and, and needs to get those answers uh, for these victims' groups. Um, and the government need to get a grip of this because, to tell you the truth, there are serious issues that are pressing down on people. We've just 
touched on one of them there. When you say answers to questions, Pierce, I mean, we know he was driving on a provisional licence at 49 years of age, which is quite bizarre. Uh, Although I know that many other people did it. It was only when we brought in the Clancy Amendment last year, I suppose, that the Gardaí got tough uh, on that particular situation. But leaving that aside even, um, we could suggest that many other people did that. It would be remiss of a politician to do it, mind you, uh, considering they were telling everybody else not to do it. But the drink driving we can't escape from. I mean, nobody's suggesting he should lose his job as a TD, he's elected representative, but, I mean, do you really believe that Michal Martin didn't know or didn't hear whispers that he had a drink-driving man? Look, I don't know what Michal Martin knew or didn't know. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't hear the whispers in, 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 in Leinster House at that time. Not saying I would, anyway, it would have been kept tight. But uh, So I don't know what he, what he knew or what he didn't know. Uh, he really needs to answer, answer for that. Uh, he has appointed him, he is standing by him. Uh, he has apologised, but look, I think there there is, and I listened to you know, um, I, I listened to both victims th- this morning speaking on national radio, and they do want answers. And you know, in fairness, Barry Crown gave a a, a a big apology yesterday, but he didn't answer a number of questions that people thought that they were going to answer. And I think it's really not to politicians. He needs should to he give resign, the Pierce? Should it's, he res- should he I resign his ministerial position? For, I, I, well, I, there, well, well, there's a lot of people calling for it. You well, we're not calling for his resignation in this thing. What we're, what I think is, uh, what he needs to do is he needs to speak to the victims' groups. He needs to answer their questions. He needs to satisfy what he led them to believe, which was that his statement last night would have addressed those issues. They obviously haven't to their satisfaction. Uh, and first and foremost, in all of this issue, I think we have to. But I mean, if they, you you know as well as I do, elections. if this was if this was in Britain in Parliament and a member of Parliament or an MP. Uh, was caught drink driving, or it was revealed that they were caught drink driving, they'd be out the door. I, I think if 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 if, if a, a member of a government were caught drink driving in office, that would definitely be the case. Um, there, there, there's no doubt about that. In, in relation, just finally, the wage subsidy, of course, are all part of the economic recovery of this country. Um, do you think that it should be, do you still believe it should be extended? Of course, as we know, it extends to the 31st of August. Um, a lot of people have already seen a reduction of the COVID payment, depending on how much money you happen to be on, but that will go soon as well. Uh, how far forward do you believe that subsidy should be extended? Because for many businesses, um, some businesses will get up and running quicker than others. Uh, some businesses obviously are restricted by social distancing and how much business they can actually allow into their business in the first place. So they're never going to get or be able to make enough money to survive uh, without the subsidy. How long more do you think the subsidy needs to be in there? Yeah, I think the, both subsidies need to be, um, or both schemes need to be extended to the end of the year. Uh, and do you believe that should be a blanket thing or should it be based, no, uh, based on the turnover of the business? No, no, the wage subsidy scheme, uh, the, so the, the pandemic unemployment payment is based on your unemployment, so obviously yep. that, that should continue until the end of the year. In terms of the wage subsidy scheme, it needs to be uh, targeted. In my view, some of the wage subsidies, even for certain sectors, will go on way beyond the end of the year um, in, in some type of form. Uh, but the legislation does allow for you to target particular sectors and actually to give different type of supports for different sectors. So um, there are now many anomalies with the, the wage subsidy scheme at this point in time. Uh, so I, I'll give you an example now. If you were running a pub and you may have had a restaurant in it, your chef may have been working two days a week. Uh, on a Friday and a Saturday in January and February because it was low season. Now, when the pubs are opening, restaurants are opening, they're actually working five days a week. But they, that uh, business can't get any wage subsidy scheme because for every euro that the chef is paid above what he was paid January and February, he, you lose a euro of the wage subsidy scheme. That makes no sense. It is counterintuitive. It is actually disincentive to actually 
uh, you know, to, 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 to give more hours and more income to the chef. And that's right across the kind of hospitality sector. There's all, also okay. sectors that are up and running that have um, that are back at it full, full swing and that don't need the wage subsidy scheme. But because it is based on your turnover uh, historically, uh, they're still able to benefit it. So it needs to be targeted, it needs to be focused, and it needs to be about making sure business survive and getting as many people back to work as possible. And, and finally, in relation to the economic recovery of Ireland, uh, what's important here, of course, is the people spending money. Now, in the UK, they have announced that there's a possibility they're going to give a €500 Euro voucher to every citizen, 250 per child. Um, they're also bringing in a 5,000 grant, of course, uh, to make places greener, of course, and, and reduce carbon emissions. That's a whole other argument as well, that we could improve how we have... The, we, I know we have a system currently in place at the moment, we could certainly improve that uh, to make it easier for people to get those grants. But in saying that, do you believe we need to throw out a bit of helicopter money as well, stimulus package to the people, uh, to encourage them to get out there? I mean, I know in some countries they're giving hotel vouchers to people to ho- encourage them to holiday at home. We've done nothing really in that respect yet. Yeah, we're, we're behind the curve um, in, a, in a big way. And look, the, the tourism and hospitality sector is the biggest affected sector uh, as a result of the pandemic. It's one that's going to have the, the longest time or uh, take the longest time for it to recover. Uh, and therefore, we actually believe and we published uh, a scheme on this last month with our spokesperson, um, uh, Darren O'Rourke, uh, which was uh, a voucher scheme. It was based on €200 Euro per adult and €100 Euro per child that could be spent and the hospitality, tourism and accommodation sector. So it would allow for you to go uh, to a B&B or a hotel down the country mm-hmm. uh, for a weekend. It would allow you to go out to a restaurant and have a meal. Now what about what about an all-for-one card whereby, you know, it could be spent in any kind of retail sector that would accept those, which, well, which would boost the economy to no end? The idea behind this is that it is a kind of all-for-one card, that it's a preloaded credit card um, that you can get the family's amount put on it or an individual, and you can go and use it in different places. But no, it sh- in my view, it shouldn't be just able to spend wherever uh, because there are certain sectors that we need actually more support from. So, like, for example, supermarkets um, are, are doing quite well because more people are at home, they're consuming more food and so on and so forth. Um, so you don't want the money to go into the till to the supermarkets. Well, that's important. What we really need to do is stimulate activity in terms of the tourism sector. There was 10 million visitors that we rely on in this state every year, overseas visitors. They're not coming this year. Many of them aren't coming next year. It's estimated that about just 40% will come next year. So that is a huge drop in income, 3.5 billion euro for the tourism sector that that has to be made up. Okay. If you look at the number of people who are unemployed, the biggest category of workers are in the tourism sector. That's why we want this card to, to be and used be, be, to Because you mentioned tourism, I'll end with that, because obviously there's a lot of, um, I suppose, rula bula and debate at the moment in relation to should we be allowed to go on holidays, should we not, should we let in tourists, should we not. We're talking about isolation, taking people from airports and bringing them to hotels and sanctioning people and all sorts of carry-on at the moment, right? And we don't really know where we're going with that. We don't want to be like New Zealand or Australia where you suppress a virus and you end up as some sort of outlier for the next 30 years if indeed the virus survives 30 years. So we've got to do things logically and we've got to support tourism. So in saying that, what people have been on to us and saying, that one lad was on the other night, he came through Cork Airport, he said he was told to fill out a form at a desk, there was nobody there from the HSE, he just filled, he said, I could have put Mickey Mouse in the form, no one even checked it, he said he went off. Somebody else, taxi driver was on yesterday, he was told to take a pay- person who was COVID positive, was allowed to walk out through the airport, get into a taxi and was brought to a hospital. Uh, it turned out he was COVID positive. Um, these kind of things are happening every day. Why can't we have 
testing at airports. It would solve the whole problem. We wouldn't need the isolation. We wouldn't need the 14 days. There's testing equipment available now that can test people up to 85 to 90% accuracy in 15 to 20 minutes. So people, we check their temperatures coming through the, the, the doorways of the arrivals. If they have a bit of a temperature, you take them off into a room, do a test on them. If they have COVID, you send them off to somewhere like a hotel or you send them home, whatever you want to do with them. And if they don't have COVID, you say, you've got a bit of a cold there, pal. You need a paracetamol and enjoy your holiday. Why can't we do that? Yeah, look, you know, we've argued for a, for a suite of measures in terms of um, of our of our airports, and and part of that is testing. Uh, you can do temperature testing, while it's not flawless. You know, people can uh, absolutely you know, take paracetamols and all the rest. But like most people aren't trying to game the system. Most people are just trying to get on with their lives and all the rest. And actually, you know, if I was going into an airport, I'm not. But if I was coming into an airport, I would actually welcome the fact that there was a temperature test. I think we, I think we all would if we could get on with our lives. We would all welcome. And we would all. I mean, I wouldn't mind if I had a bit of a temperature coming to the airport and somebody said, "Listen, you have to do a quick COVID test here. It'll take 15, 20 minutes." That wouldn't bother me. If that's all, if that's what we have to do to get back to a level of normality and obviously support our tourism industry, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, and I, and I do think that that's where we need to go, and that needs to be uh, even in line with what it, what they're talking about in terms of the the the, the, the corridors, the airline corridors that they're they're looking at in the future. I would be now to tell you the guys on the street, I'd be very very cautious in relation to um, uh, travel outside of of the country or incoming travel at this point in time. There's a number of steps that are happening over the next number that have happened and more. But you prepare. See, I know you're saying you're, you'd be cautious about it, but again, our, you know, we don't want to end up in a situation like Australia or New Zealand, and we've just seen, of course, Australia have just introduced another six-week uh, lockdown in Melbourne, five million people locked down again because they had one or two cases. We don't want to end up in that situation because we couldn't afford to be in that situation again. So why aren't we testing people at airports and then let's get the country back open again? Because we are part of Europe anyway, and we have to at some point, and the rest but of I Europe are going to do it. With you on that point, I think that that's part of the test, and so I'm not. What I'm saying, I would be cautious. What what I mean by that is, I wouldn't be arguing to just, you know, throw open the gates and 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 open up the whole country. This no, there's certain countries I would certainly steps. ban people from. Absolutely, yeah, and, yes. and there's other steps that are happening next week in terms of uh, the pubs and all that, and we need to see how that that plays out. Imagine when yeah, well, Michal was Michal was on radio yesterday, giving out about the pub, saying he might have to reconsider the date of July the twentieth over what happened in Dame Street the other night, which was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard Michal say. Because realistically, what happened in Dame Street was because all the pubs are not open. When you only open half them, what do you expect people are going to congregate in those half of those pubs? So why not just open them all and dilute the problem? I think it would be a much well, better it, idea. It, it, and people, you know, business people, the last thing they need is is kind of scaremongering or uncertainty to tell you the cousins because a lot of people are going to quite a large expense to make sure that their pubs are kitted out, that their staff yeah, are there, that they've I got agree. the PPP, the hygiene. They're not getting the support from government that other countries have given in terms of grant aid and all the rest. So, look, we need a bit of certainty. But I agree with the point, as I said, and we've made this to, to government, that there needs to be additional measures at airports because we're going to get a point where airport flights, where more and more people are going to come into the country. And there is a risk when people come into the country that you have, uh, that they, 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 they take the infection with them uh, into the state. So that's why we need that type of temperature testing. We need other measures. I couldn't agree testing. with you more. Temperature testing, and you if know, you want to put it forward... We have the capacity here for 100,000 tests a week. We know, you know, that's been what... 
well okay, and, and I agree with you but in, but in relation to efficiency when you talk about airports or maybe nursing homes or hospitals when you want to do some sort of testing of staff you know in and out of those kind of places or people who are going because we don't want to go down the road we, may, we did at the very start where we lost so many lives in nursing homes what we need to do is bring in something like the Abbott testing system which is 85% successful up to 90% and at least then you're getting most of it you're not going to have the problem and I think in those kind of situations that kind of testing would work very well for us yeah, well, look, you know, I, I think that what we don't have at the minute is a roadmap in terms of, 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 of flights coming in. And, you know, we're, we're told that it's suspended until the 20th. Nobody should be traveling. But on the 20th, there's going to be a, a list of countries where we can travel to. So does that mean that there's going to be a rush on the 20th? You know, and what are the additional measures? Because I know even if people are allowed to travel, there's going to be a huge ner- nervousness in relation to that. And people, as I said, would welcome the fact that somebody has been temperature checked before they go on a plane or indeed when they're coming off a plane because nobody wants to put you know, themselves, their family or, or, or their loved ones at, at risk. Okay, and, and somebody just texted him and says, finally, will you ask him now before he goes? Does he, does he reckon Michal Martin will have any more skeletons in the ministerial cabinet uh, closet in the next week or so? They're saying Michal is having a rough week, isn't he? Look, it's always, in politics, sometimes it's the, it's the little things that... that, that, that can trip governments up um, and while well, the little things are important and he was talking uh, I know from, from our point of view it's, it's the big issue it's you know it's what the insurance companies are doing in, in the rip-off and the mortgages it's about getting housing for people it's sort mm-hmm. of our health care it's okay. affordable health care we're going to stay focused on that and Michael's going to have to manage his own cabinet and whatever uh, skeletons that are there or aren't there um, look I think people have had a Fairly, uh, They'll be rattling away for a while, I think, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, I think, I think we're all kind of throwing our, our, our heads back, our minds back to 10 years ago when, you know, well, we're last in government and we're saying, well, what really has changed? But anyway, all right. Okay, listen, thank you very much, Nathan. I appreciate you coming on the air today. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.